This is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Podcasting to you from the seaside town of Edmonds, Washington. I am one half of maybe put together. We are one half of a podcaster today, <laughs> live from the sick bay. No, this is uh, Revelations Radio News, and I'm joined today by a gentleman who I've wanted to have on the podcast for quite a while and introduce uh, to the listeners of Revelations Radio News and the network as a whole. Uh, he's been doing really great work, has over 50 episodes, or just right at the 50 mark right now, uh, podcast out so far within the last year. Uh, some of the guests include uh, Dr. Stan Monteith, Chris White, James Corbett, um, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, and many, many others uh, that are worth checking out. I'm joined by the one and only Julian Charles of the MindRenewed.com and the Mind Renewed podcast. Thanks for coming on, Julian. Hi, Tim. Thank you ever so much for having me on. It's uh, great to be speaking to you at last. It is. It is. And it's funny, you know, we, we're, we got on to do a show and we're, we spent so much time just you know chatting in the background about uh, just the wonderful episodes that you've had and, uh, and how much I've enjoyed them. Uh, but I just wanted to kind of introduce you to to the people of the network, and uh, you know, uh, kind of get your story on on why you started the uh, your, your podcast. So, if you wouldn't if mm-hmm. you wouldn't mind indulging us, and and if you want to, I totally understand if you want to say podcasting from the depths of the Lancashire countryside. <laughs> That's right. This is hello. This is Julian Charles of the Mindrenewed dot com, podcasting to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. That's right. That's what I say each time. Um, I was, I, I, I suppose that was uh, somewhat influenced by Dr. Stan himself because I used to listen to him way back in the early 1990s, and of course he always used to talk about overlooking the the uh, the bay at uh, at Monterey there, and that's uh, right. So, that's right. So I thought to myself, well, you know, there's a catchphrase. Why not do the same thing? I'm overlooking the countryside here in in Lancashire, so I did the same thing. I must just say, you say we're here at the sick bay today, so I'm just going to explain <laughs> explain to the listeners that I'm lying here on on a bed, which is the first time I've done this with an interview, uh, just because I've hurt my back, not seriously, but uh, I just have to nurse myself <laughs> for a couple of days. So I'm lying here. Uh, while I speak, a bit odd, but I'm coping. Well, it's probably probably it's going to be easier. They won't know that you're laying down, but they will definitely know that I have a cold and the sniffles. So, <laughs> right, so yes, we're in good company. So you say, uh, you, thank you very much indeed for inviting me to talk about my journey towards creating this website. Where exactly would you like me to start with this? Because in a sense, you know, these stories of one's personal journey can start it's way back uh, you know i don't want to go back to birth but you know what i mean <laughs> absolutely absolutely you know some of your podcasts and I, we were just speaking offline about this uh for instance the scientologist uh interview that you did with the, the the guy who had so much info on the scientology i learned so much from that podcast but i learned a little bit about you and that was that you had just kind of started to to become a christian when you were interviewed by the scientology and they they kind of uh you know, try to to play that nasty personality test trick on you, oh, and it yeah. and that just uh, made me curious. Okay, so you know what 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 happened to Julian uh, right around that time uh, to make him become a Christian, and then uh, how did you get? And well, I guess we could just start there and then move on into uh, how you <laughs> sure. how you got into conspiracies and and then how you started the website. But uh, yeah, yeah, if you don't mind, a bit of a testimony, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, that was around 1986, I suppose, that I was in London there studying as a student. And uh, I was, I think it was, might have been the Charing Cross Road in London. And they had this guy standing outside the shop. And uh, they said, Would you like a free personality test? I knew nothing about it. Uh, so I thought, Well, okay, I'll have a free personality test. I had nothing else to do that afternoon. So I went into the shop and I saw all these. Dianetics books everywhere and uh, then I was taken through into this booth and they shut the door and somebody else then appeared uh, a very dry serious individual who passed over this piece of paper to me and said you know these 200 questions uh, if you fill these in then we'll be able to assess your personality so I, I did that the Oxford capacity analysis as it's called and uh, then they went away and uh, looked at it and came back and uh, then gave me this 
grilling, essentially, telling me that I was 100% withdrawn. I had all these terrible problems with my life, and the only way I could get out of it was by buying the Dianetics book, um, which I didn't buy. I didn't uh, accept this at all. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, the fact, I think the thing that – I don't want to talk about Scientology all the time, but to, you sure, know, the thing that, st- that struck me about this guy was that he was so clearly trying to sell me something. He didn't seem to be concerned about me at all, and that was in – such contrast to what I'd experienced with recently coming to faith in Christ was the the care, uh, the love from the Christians that I'd come to know at that time. And it was just such a contrast. This guy was trying to sell me something. He didn't care anything about me at all. So that just immediately told me there's he's not being truthful when he, he's offering me these, these questions to find out about me, to help me. Uh, not to help me, no, clearly not, because he doesn't care. So, you know, that was um, the, the reason why I uh, didn't take any notice of that. But, you know, at that time I was coming to faith, or I had recently come to faith, so I was obviously suspicious of things which were contrary to the Christian faith at that time. Um, but actually, I had previous to that been an atheist for quite a few years, um, so I suppose I'd better go back to my childhood because I was brought up in the Methodist church here in the UK and I had a very normal kind of upbringing I suppose really and like many teenagers I decided that I wasn't really interested in religious matters when I you know I got about 13 14 years old I had there were some problems in the Sunday school I was bullied and you know things like this these sort of things happened so I I chucked the I chucked the yeah well I chucked the towel in and uh Decided that I'm, so, you know, some of my friends as well were, there's a lot of peer pressure. Well, you don't go to church, do you? So, yeah. You, know. you have to find your own way. I did the same thing. I'm going to find <laughs> something better than Jesus. I don't need this, this Jesus character. Sure. That's exactly right. And uh, as that was happening, that process of moving towards atheism, and initially it was a kind of agnosticism, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure, but, you know, I was encountering propaganda really from some of my teachers at school who were showing me. Uh, trying to tell me anyway that materialistic evolution was the answer to you know everything, <laughs> and uh, so so I was going through that process there of taking on that on board and moved towards agnosticism, and then I did move to atheism eventually. As I say, I must have been about fifteen, I think, when I got to about there, and uh, I was supported in a sense by things that I was seeing on TV, characters such as Richard Dawkins and um, Carl Sagan, very popular at the time. And I thought, well, these guys, you know, they're great scientists, they're great intellectuals, they don't believe, not only do they not believe, you know, in a sort of negative sense of not knowing whether there's a God, but in a positive sense of saying there definitely isn't a God. And so that kind of appealed to my intellectual pride, as, as one has very definitely as a teenager, as you know. And uh, so I thought, right, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to copy these guys, so I'm an atheist now. And I remember having a great deal of fun, I suppose, with my fellow friends, you know, laughing at people like Jehovah's Witnesses who would turn up at the door. And I mean, now when I look back at it, I think, you know, I, although I don't agree with Jehovah's Witnesses, I think they misunderstand who Jesus is. Nevertheless, I look back now and I admire them for coming to the door and, you know what I mean, and, uh, uh, and giving up their lives to do that kind of thing. But of course, at the time, I just thought, I'm just going to criticize anybody who's religious in any sense at all. But that changed, you see, when I went to uh, university, went to London University, and uh, there was a guy there at the university who was doing the same course as me. It was a music course, and he, the year before, he had become a Christian. And it was the testimony, really, on a personal level, that he was saying to me that he was aware of God in his life. So it wasn't something that he could prove to me, but he continually bothered me by saying, well, I, I know I have experienced this transformation. I, I'm aware on an everyday basis that God is with me. I have this new consciousness. I, I want you, he's talking to me, I want you to take that seriously, that here is a claim. So he encouraged me to read the Bible that I still had, which, which I did, um, not very wholeheartedly or anything. But you see, I had all these problems about evolution and science and, you know, science and faith don't mix, you know, because Richard Dawkins says so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he said, well, what you need to do is to speak to my friends. And this, this was a real turning point for me. Because, so I said, yeah, okay, I'll speak to your friends. And he said, well, these friends are all Christians, but they're all science and engineering students at Imperial College, which, as you know, is a world-renowned science and engineering college. Right. And um, 
So I said, oh, well, yeah, right, okay. So uh, he invited these guys over, and then it was like a sort of conference to have, like um, a panel show or something. Um, he set out three tables in my hall of residence, and these three guys came over, t- uh, two astronomers and an electrical engineer. One of these guys went off to work for NASA. You know, that's the sort of caliber they were. And uh, they sat behind these three tables, and I sat the other side. Um, it was like an interview, you know. And I was able to put my objections to the Christian faith to these three guys. And, of course, they were able to answer a huge number of my objections. And, you know, I wouldn't say they answered everything, but they made me realize that my position was one of really arrogance. It wasn't one where I got all the answers, really. And so I started to crumble at that point, um, thinking, yeah, well, maybe there is a God. You know, why do I think that I've got this right when my objections to the faith are so weak? And it, it got to a point where... You know, I'll just give you one of my, one of my, am I going way off topic with this? No, you're not way? Is this okay? off topic. This is actually quite <laughs> fascinating. I mean, what a, what a great group of people and what a service they did to you. But awesome. No, yeah. I, I, this is, this is fascinating. Please. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, one of the things that they gave me was an argument, which I suppose now has been popularized by William Lane Craig, which is the Big Bang Cosmological Argument. And they didn't call it that, but that's what they said to me, basically. And uh, so they got me to the point of, kind of admitting, well, you know, the Big Bang came from somewhere, didn't it? it? You don't get something from nothing. And I, at that point, I was thinking to myself, well, okay, you've sort of said there has to be something beyond the material and physical to bring this material and physical realm into being. And I thought, well, how am I going to argue against this? And so I came out with this really lame argument, right? I said, um, yes, but you're arguing from the cause and effect universe as it is. If there is no universe, this is logically prior to the Big Bang, there is no universe, then cause and effect doesn't apply. So how can you argue that? <laughs> and, and at the time I thought, yeah, that was really good and I felt really smug about it. I've got them, you know. But they didn't really reply. They just sort of smiled at me and realized that I was just trying to find a way out. Um, but when I look back at that, I realized that what a lame argument that was really because, you know, cause and effect is not... I mean, I, I, talk, I talked in terms of cause and effect, but really it's this notion that you don't get something from nothing. From nothing, nothing comes. That is not something that is dependent upon a material universe. That is just logically true. It's an axiom. So it applies whether there's a universe or not. You, from nothing, nothing comes. So it, was, it just was... I'd, I kind of fooled myself into thinking that was a, a good argument. And I suppose that the weakness of my position there caused this confidence to unravel and uh so i took uh, the the guy who was telling me about his faith i I took that seriously and started to read the bible more seriously and one one piece of advice that he had for me was to actually ask god if he exists so i suppose this was a kind of prayer well they didn't call it that he just said look ask god if he exists so i did that and then there were an awful lot of things that started to change in my life i wouldn't say they were all positive in the obvious sense there were difficulties that came along but when i look back at them all those things that did happen and did change were leading me towards a christian faith <laughs> so there were some difficulties that came but even those difficulties were steering me towards god if that makes any sense makes plenty of and, sense and so uh there came a point in 1986 it was in the summer of 1986 where i made a formal commitment and uh, i can't remember the exact date but i know it was the end of july so it was almost like from one week to the next i became a kind of card carrying uh, i was a card carrying atheist and then a card carrying christian but I mean, obviously it wasn't quite like that it was it was a process but nevertheless there was a point during this this week um where i changed and then it was a process of some difficulty of course trying to work out as, as many Christians experience, you know, how do you now live in the world as a Christian when the week before I was living in the world as a non-Christian? You know, there are lots of questions that you have to deal with. And um, one thing that continued with me, of course, was this evolution problem. It's still there, you know. It's, how, how can it be that God has, you know, created this world, but he's done so apparently by using nature, red in tooth and claw, and um, the survival of the fittest process in order to bring about his creation. How does that make any sense? And uh, so I started to read creationist literature, uh, six, I mean by that six-day creationist literature, and I, I read some things by Henry Morris and uh, Arthur, 
Arthur Ernest Wilder Smith. I've got a lot of books by him who had quite an influence on me, actually. Um, and a book by a guy called Malcolm Bowden here in the UK um, called Ape Men Fact or Fiction, I think it was called, uh, in which he was arguing that um, human evolution, as it's currently taught, uh, is false. And I have to say that I was not persuaded in the end by the six-day young earth creationist position. Um, but it did sow some seeds of doubt in my mind with regard to Darwinism. And this guy, Malcolm Bowden, I wrote to him and I said, can you help me? Um, you know, how can I find out more information? And he wrote back to me and said, well, I think from what you've said to me, your problem is not really with the science, it's with the philosophy. You still have an evil, uh, a an evolutionary philosophy guiding your thought. What you need to do is go and see a guy that I know in Camden Town in London called Brian Austin who runs a Christian bookshop. And uh, so I went to see that guy. That was probably one of the greatest experiences of my um, Christian life, really, because he... he uh, I, mean, I only saw him about three times, three or four times. I spent about an hour and a half in his company each time. And I'd go into the shop and uh, he would sit me down for an hour and a half at a time, give me a cup of coffee, and he would lecture me <laughs> in a very nice way. Right. But he made me realize that um, evolution was essentially a philosophy and I needed to realize that before I could deal with the scientific stroke faith questions relating to it. And uh, when he explained that to me, and he, he went through all sorts of philosophers throughout um, European history and even philosophers of you know, Chinese tradition and uh, showed me that this, this way of thinking um, is, is very, very common across the world. And we need to realize that you know, if we can get away from that, that philosophy and stand back from it, we can see more clearly. Um, he also led me to the writings of Francis Schaeffer, um, who many people will know as somebody who was a, a great cultural critic and also a theologian who was looking at the, the way people were thinking in the world and analyzing it and help, helping them to stand back from the presuppositions that they grew up with so that they could see the world more clearly. That was a great help to me too. Now, but Brian Austin, this guy in the shop, he also mentioned to me the existence of the New World Order. So this was in 1989. He didn't call it that. He called it global governance. Um, he, and it came really from his uh, work with the, new, with the New Age and work with philosophy that he could see that human beings generally had this tendency to believe that the world would work better if there could just be a utopian philosophy that would unite everybody, bring everybody together in a, a single nation, get rid of sovereignty, get rid of different religions. You know, we, we will no longer have any war or conflict if we can all come together as a single global community. And this, was, this wasn't coming from a kind of, you know, there are a, a, a conspiratorial, um, um, what's the word I want, uh, imagination that there are secret groups trying to achieve this. I'm not saying he's denying that, nor am I denying that, but it wasn't coming from there. It was coming from this um, analysis of philosophy that he believed that, uh, that humanistic philosophy was leading in this direction and, and a lot of people were on board with it because they thought this was the way the world has to go. Um, so I was alerted to the existence of the New World Order back in those days. Then I started to listen to Dr. Stan. This is a couple of years later, 1991, 92, when Radio Liberty, I think, was in its fairly early days around then. And so many of the things that Dr. Stan said uh, chimed immediately with what Brian had said to me. And uh, so, you know, many subjects started to fall into place with respect to the New World Order, including... Uh, Dr. Stan's claim that there are secret and semi-secret societies working towards that, uh, which, which I, I think that is right. Um, but the thing that really brought this into more of an activist role with me was, of course, and I think a lot of people will know what I'm about to say, was 9-11. Um, yeah, I mean, in, when it happened, I... Because of my background, having listened to Dr. Stan and the things I've been talking about, I, was, I had a sense that maybe what we were seeing with the footage of this event was 
staged in some way that wasn't quite real. It occurred to me that could be possible. But I, I shelved that thought, you know, life is busy. I just put it aside. I, I did exactly the opposite of what Barry Zwicker said the other week when he was on my show. And he said that he had the same kind of intuition that this was not quite right. Something fishy about it, I think he said. But in, instead of shelving it, he thought, right, I'm going to investigate it. <laughs> and as a consequence, you know, he, he produced these documentaries uh, about it. But I shelved to, it, you see. Yeah, to be mm -hmm. fair, though, if your interview with Barry Zwicker, I put him as the the number one, like, he is, the, of everyone that kind of realized that, hey, something's not quite right with 9-11, didn't he say by 2 o'clock that day he was sure? I mean, he, he, <laughs> he has to be, like, the one of the earliest people that was like, no, 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 this wasn't right. Yeah. So, anyway. Yes, indeed, that's right. And uh, I just, looking back at it now, I wish that I'd had the same confidence, but... Uh, Absolutely, me too, but it took but, but, but several years, not just several yeah. hours, as it did him. Yeah. So you're, you're, in, you're in good company, but man, he was, uh, <laughs> he's definitely unique in that. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's the, uh, the benefit of hindsight, isn't it? Um, but of course, at that time, I think it would, you know, for me, I'm not talking about Barry, because of course, everybody has different experiences, different backgrounds, um, different information to draw upon. But I think with me, I think it wouldn't, I wouldn't have had sufficient justification for saying, yes, that is an inside job right. at the time, because the research wasn't done. Um, and it's in recent years, you know, having read particularly the work of David Ray Griffin, which is, you know, such brilliant, such brilliant research coming from a first, first, uh, a first class world scholar there, that, uh, you know, it, the justification for believing that it was some form of inside job increases, doesn't it, with every turn of the page. And um, then when I saw the video of Building 7 come down, of course, this this anecdote would be repeated a million times by people all, all over the world. But, you know, that was the, the moment where I think, to use the same sort of quasi-philosophical language, you know, the justification for believing this is a very, very fishy event uh, fell into place. Because as so many people say, that looked exactly like a controlled demolition, which it does. It's undeniable. I mean, even the BBC has said that. It looks like that. They then can, you know, say there are all sorts of reasons why, why that belief can be undercut. But if you, if you know the technical details, why, even though it looks like it, it actually isn't. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, as far as I'm concerned, and what I've, what I've seen and heard by experts, those, all those attempts to undercut that, uh, that obvious indication there that obvious impression that it is a controlled demolition those those attempts just fail as far as i can see um and so of course that was i'm not going to say that was the beginning of going down the rabbit hole which many people do say uh simply because i had had some kind of initiation into this worldview really um way back when I was speaking to Brian Austin, when he said that, you know, there is a new world order in the offing. So it wasn't kind of uh, a traumatic thing for me as it is for many people. Um, but then I'm still moving towards the website. You know, I've still not created this website. Um, the thing which really prompted me to do that was the supposed assassination of Osama bin Laden, because mm. that, that was the moment when, I know this sounds ridiculous to say it, but I felt personally lied to <laughs> because we actually had uh, Mr. Obama appear on the screen telling us this has happened. And th that really was a bit shocking. I, I didn't actually see that when it was first broadcast over here. It was my wife who told me about this. She'd heard the news from a neighbor. She was working in the garden at the time. The neighbor told, told her, have you heard the news We've got Osama bin Laden. She then told me when I went out of the garden, and I, I just, you know, I was, I was, my head was bobbing backwards, you know, and shaking. Gosh, what, you, he died ten years ago. <laughs> You're telling me the latest news is that we, we have got him. You know, who's we anyway? It was, it was on just dialysis ridiculous. in 2001. What do you mean he just got killed? That's right. Now, to anybody who doesn't know that, of course, you know, that's okay. Yeah, we've got him. That's fine. The president says so. But, but once you've got, if you have that background of, of all these news reports and the like that, yeah, he's, he was on dialysis and he died and he was buried and there's a report of his funeral. And then you're told, you know, the, 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 sorry, the SEAL team has just gone in and got him. It just doesn't make any sense at all. So I then, of course, I did see the repeat of the news and saw Barack Obama then saying, you know, we've, we've got him, etc. And I just thought, I, do, I can't prove it, but everything that I know says to me I'm being lied to. So at that moment, I thought to myself, I've got to speak about this. But I found that I couldn't. 
I could speak to my wife about it, of course. But I, I found there was nobody else that I could talk to about it. You know, uh, friends, colleagues, pe- even people in the church couldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I, I just thought, well, there are, there are guys like you, guys like James, uh, Stan Monteith. You know, they're, they're doing this online. They're doing this through radio. I'm going to join in. So that's what I did. It's, uh, but, you know, that's, that's, that's a really uh, great story. It's, it's cathartic sometimes to do these podcasts. I remember I wasn't doing Revelations Radio News. I was doing uh, the Tim and Mike show, which was just a, a grab bag of different stuff and, and a much different show in many ways. But I, I did a show uh, just the, the day after, or, you know, I think it was a couple of days after the Osama bin Laden deal myself and i think it was a three four hour long show where i was just ranting and raving and (laughs) reading like articles from 2000 to 2005 to 2001 to 2000 you know reporting his death and and whatnot so yeah uh, we we definitely have a similar uh similar yeah we definitely were i I agree with you Mm. you know we were being personally lied to it's funny i think that here in the u.s i'm i'm more uh jaded by it but then for to Mm. hear you know how how uh, you reacted to it there over the pond is kind of enlightening, and and how mm. you know even the American propaganda reaches uh, across in uh, and can still offend uh, <laughs> a whole uh, <laughs> yes, ocean <indeed>. away. <clears throat> That's right. It was a real affront to reason. That's how I felt about it, and I still do actually. So I mean, I've, I've interviewed Doctor um, Paul Craig Roberts about it, and also produced a a small podcast just looking into it as well because, it, you know, it's one of these things where I just felt so affronted. <laughs> I have to react. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And your one thing I really enjoy about your podcast is your intellectual pursuit and when you see something that doesn't make sense or that, you, you know, that bothers you, you go after and find someone who knows more about it than you and really just kind of, yeah. just kind of, you know, get down to brass tacks with them on the podcast and, and it makes your podcast very enlightening. I did enjoy that podcast about the death of Osama bin Laden with Paul Craig Roberts and uh, his, you know, his dry sense of humor chuckling Absolutely. along as he, as he described how ridiculous it was. Yeah, um, yeah. It, I found that very cathartic as well, actually. Yeah, sure, sure. And in fact, one of the reasons why I wanted to have him on uh, was because at the time in 2011, he came on to the Boiling Frogs Post mm-hmm. podcast, and he was in conversation uh, with Sybil Edmonds, of course. And um, he, he said that the reason why he was actually saying to everybody he didn't believe these reports was partly in order to help people um, that, that that they could then hear somebody on the radio who was echoing the thoughts, the, they, the, the doubts and the thoughts that they were having. And he felt that was important um, for sort of keeping people sane. And so I thought... the propaganda to, to show right. that there is another side. And, and because the that's way right. propaganda works, it makes you think you're crazy because there, there's exactly. no voice in the conversation who is, the, who is voicing the opinion that the only rational one that's going through your head. And then that, therefore, mm. makes you question yourself. So... You know, yes, you feel so isolated, don't you? Yes. How uh, intellectually honest of of uh, PCR Paul Craig Roberts to say yeah. that, you know, to, and to do that for other people because, yeah, I mean, he has a good understanding of of the way the mass media works here. So, uh, yeah. So I thanked him for that because it was, uh, I mean, in a way, really, it was a pastoral thing that he was doing. Yes. Um, Yes, you know, and and I've um, picked up on that, and that's one of the things that I'm trying to do with the podcast. I don't know whether you know it works on that level, but I, I'm trying partly to voice these concerns on behalf of other people, Christian and non-Christian, so that people can actually think, "Oh, good, there's somebody out there who's actually thinking the same thoughts as I am." So I don't feel quite so alone in the world. And I have had quite a few emails from people who have said things along those lines. Or I've, Thank, thank heavens you've said that. That was quite a relief, you know, that kind of comment, which uh, is always great to hear, of course. Sure. We had a, a, an interview where Andrew and I were speaking to a guest and, and uh, trying to explain why we did this podcast. And I think Andrew explained that, you know, this podcast is just our own, it's a, not only our own uh, cathartic way to, uh, to, you know, help ourselves and hopefully those around us who hear it and encourage them. But it's also no. just kind of just a, a mark in the sand, you know, not everybody fell for it, <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and, and here we sure. are and we're Christians, we believe in, in, in Jesus Christ as our Savior and we didn't fall for it and here's why and here's what we're going to, you know, what we're going to talk mm. about. 
And yeah. I believe your your podcast has done that as well, but in a much uh, much different way. And you've just really gone out and, and got the the best minds on all of these topics and uh, brought them brought them to the podcast and. You know, we're able to hang with them in every every conversation and, and really just get the best uh, interview that you could out of them. And I admire you for that. You've done some some just amazing work. Um, I've been very, very blessed that these people have agreed to come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a, quite quite unexpected to start with, I have to say. In fact, the most unexpected one, of course, was podcast number one when I contacted. Um, I didn't actually contact Kevin Barrett directly but his um, organization where the um, uh, is it the Muslim Jewish Christian Alliance f- um, for 9-11 or Truth, 9-11 Truth, something along those lines anyway. And I contacted them asking, is there somebody from your organization who would be prepared to speak? And then I got an email back from him, from Kevin Barrett, saying, yeah, sure, I'll come on. And that was qu- quite a surprise that he would come on when, in fact, there were no podcasts on the Mind Renewed at all. So he came on and he gave a fan- fantastic interview. Yeah, yes, and uh, I, you know, I haven't heard that one personally, but it's always it's interesting that the people that we look up to and really would like to, uh, you know, get you know, pick their brain or to get their their thoughts on the subject kind of on record uh, are so willing to come on these shows, you know, to come on our little little podcasts and whatnot, and and oh. uh, and to and to. Uh, to help us in in that way, and it just shows, you know, the counterculture to the American, or not even necessarily the American, but just the the, the mainstream media, and how we kind of have to band together and, and do the best that we can. Yeah, I did something I wanted to add, actually. Yes, sir. And that's um, I was talking about the uh, looking at these various issues from a faith perspective, and was very concerned in order to do these podcasts in such a way that they are helpful to people um, in a pastoral sense. But there is another side to the podcast as well, and that was a concern that I had that when I looked at so many materials from the so-called truth movement, Mm -hmm. I began to become quite concerned that a lot of it was from a rather, well, I'm less concerned by the, the secular aspect to it, unless it moves over into the kind of new atheist culture. That begins to concern me. But also what concerned me particularly was the involvement of the new age within the truth movement, where when people go down the rabbit hole, as it were, I mean, I do see that very much as, I mean, psychologically stroke spiritually rather analogous to a religious conversion. And uh, I think with a lot of people, they think, okay, well, my worldview is turning upside down here, so everything that I thought was true is now a lie. Of course, that, that proposition is self-defeating. It can't be true, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. People say, they say to themselves, oh, well, I know much of what, anyway, much of what I believe was a lie. Well, maybe then the, the dominant religion also of this culture is also a lie, so that would be Christianity in the States and Christianity here in the UK. So, therefore, perhaps alternative forms of spirituality, i.e. new age kinds of spirituality, that's the answer. You see what I mean? There's a, a way in which those things can go hand in hand very easily. And along with that can often then be a, a suspicion towards Christianity as being part of the problem. And I was very concerned to show that, I mean, I really do not believe that Christianity, at least understood as the actual teachings of Jesus and the apostles, is the problem. I think that's, actually, I think that's the solution. Um, Very often the church has distorted that and has uh, not shown a very good face to those teachings. That's a different matter. That's not what I'm talking about. But the actual teachings of Jesus and the apostles, I think, actually give us the answer. Um, So to see that truth being dragged through the mud by misunderstanding. So when people realize they've been lied to, they think they're also being lied to by the Bible, and they're also being lied to by Jesus. That's a a great concern to me. So what I wanted to do was to show people, look, I am a person who believes in Jesus, and I have the same concerns as as you. I'm, I'm down the rabbit hole with you, but I'm saying to you, don't to, to mix my metaphors, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and I think the, the easiest way to demonstrate this really is what I said before, and that is when people say everything is a lie now, I think everything is a lie, I think it's worth us deconstructing that for a moment and thinking, well, that cannot be true. 
Because if everything is a lie, then even the statement, everything is a lie, is itself a lie, which means not everything is a lie, if you see what I mean. Um, we cannot possibly be lied to completely. Therefore, we need to stand back from that statement, everything is a lie, and realize, ah, no, some things are lies and some things are not, and take things on a case-by-case basis and look at the evidence. So that's where I was coming from with that. I wanted people to realize there are Christians out there who have the the same concerns as just anybody else, really. Sure. I th- and I think you bring up a good point. It's it, it, when you have that change of paradigm, um, where you, and then you think, well, everything is a lie. And like you said, that that's not even possible. Um, no. But what, it, but what that, that thought is, is we're, we're throwing on a propagandistic uh, um, feature or, or uh, me- use onto ourselves that the mainstream media has also tried to throw upon us with uh, the conspiracy theory, the official conspiracy theory in 9-11 changed everything. So, oh, 9-11, you know, why do I have to uh-huh. take my shoes off? Well, 9-11 changed everything. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> why, do, why do we have a Department of Homeland Security? Well, 9-11 changed everything. Well, yeah. 9-11 didn't change everything. Two plus two is still four. And it's funny uh-huh. that when once we wake up from that and wake up from the official narrative that the the uh, such an overwhelming majority of people then fall into uh, the unofficial narrative which is everything you know is a lie everything that you know you have to re- you know change and and, mm. and and it's and like you said you have to come at yes. it on a case by case basis and not yes. not set ourselves up for the the failure or you know set us, ourselves up for failure mm. by wiping the slate clean as it were and absolutely it's that isn't it fresh. it's that it's that feeling everything is a lie so therefore i have to abandon everything so that everything of of any tradition well, i mean tradition then becomes a dirty word but I think that's that's clearly false. Um, there are good traditions and there are bad traditions. I mean, a tradition is really merely the passing on of certain things believed to be true. But if you abandon all tradition, then even people working within the main the um, alternative media cannot pass on information about, say, a great podcast that they've heard because they're creating a tradition by doing so. If I say, well, uh, James Corbett's done this this great uh, podcast on so-and-so, you know, on episode number 250,000 or whatever it is, <laughs> and, and how did he manage to find the time to do that as well? And, uh, and, and, <laughs> and pass it on to somebody. I've created a tradition at that point. So what's this, this truth seeker going to do? Say, well, now I'm not going to stand in the line of a tradition because traditions are bad. It doesn't actually make any sense. So the claim that I'm making, and to repeat myself, is that we, as a case-by-case basis, we have to look at these traditions and decide, are they false? Have they been distorted? And that just takes hard work. It takes research. And from my perspective as a Christian, I, from what I see, the teachings of Jesus have been faithfully handed down through the New Testament documents. And I know that that is contested by you know the Gnostic documents, and it's contested by all sorts of popular writers, et cetera, et cetera. But if you do the work, if you do the study, um, you actually look at biblical studies, which is not full of Christians, but a lot of these uh, biblical studies departments have a lot of secular people in, but you actually look at the, the, um, the work that's done by biblical scholars, you realize actually that even if you're going to be skeptical, we we do have a great deal of information about the real person, Jesus of Nazareth. And even if we take a minimal view of that, uh, we can still reconstruct a, a really good view of who Jesus was, an adequate view of who Jesus was, and still make a decision with respect to him. You know, even if we, we don't have a doctrine of, uh, of uh, biblical infallibility or something like that, we can still look at the data about Jesus and say, yeah, he did exist, he did make claims about himself, and, and make a decision on that basis. So, you know, that, I think, at the core of that is a tradition that has been faithfully preserved. Um, so, from my perspective, there's no way I'm going to say all tradition is bad. I've already said it doesn't make sense to say that. And there's an example of one that I think does actually stand the test of scrutiny. 
Absolutely, absolutely, and I, you know, I've had a similar, you know, my coming to to Christ was somewhat similar in that, you know, I started to wake up and to realize that, hey, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't real that's going on around me politically that I thought was real. You know, uh, I joined the military long ago and and just had a much different, you know, thought about God and country and all this other stuff. But uh, as I started to kind of realize that, you know, the way the world really was. I started to think, well, you know, this this Christianity thing, maybe maybe that's not real also. And it was a dangerous time where I was like, well, what am I going to do? And the and, uh, best thing I ever did was to set out to disprove biblical Christianity, which Absolutely. I, I would highly recommend to everyone to try. Yeah. <laughs> because yes. uh, there's no quicker way. <laughs> In my well, Maybe not necessarily <laughs> quicker, but uh, there's uh, no, I have no doubts. And I and I don't I don't see myself ever ever going back because I've I've answered so many of my own doubts that I had and, and much in the same way that those gentlemen did with you that afternoon where they sat you down and said okay give us your best arguments, um, you know I had uh, I've, I've personally gone through and systematically uh, taken out my doubts and uh, were able to prove them wrong and and, and uh, found. You know, found my way back to to Jesus. But you're right, uh, and this is and that's a, a good reason for your podcast. And I I hope that it, it has that uh, effect on people. I, I have a good confidence that it does. I also hope that our podcast is, has the same effect, where people come into this information mm. and they see, hey, wait a second, you know, these guys they they still insist on uh, holding on to Jesus. You know, what's going on there? They know about all yeah. this other stuff. And there's such a, an arrogance um, of in the uh, the conspiracy movement. Uh, I remember one time being at like a We Are Change uh, meeting or something like this, and everybody was talking about how great Alex Jones is and, and why or why not he was he was great and the information he was putting out was great and uh, there was a bunch of people who were going on and on about something really great that he had recently done or talked about. And then uh, there was kind of a silence, and then afterwards, uh, one of the guys spoke up. He said, "Yeah, but isn't he like a Christian and everything?" And everybody's like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> so, so clearly, it's not right, you know, because he's a Christian or whatever. But I think that there is yes. a, a, a profound arrogance when you get to this hidden knowledge that is conspiracy, right? And mm. uh, everybody wants to know sure. hidden knowledge, and uh, once yeah. you start to do that, then you, uh, you know it's it's interesting it's interesting the way that it's kind of tied up in pride and the way that maybe the enemy kind of uses that uh, against us um, to kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater as you said so yes i also hope that our my little podcast andrew and i's podcast here little one can uh, can have the same effect you know just like hey you know not only do we not fall for it but we're standing up for christ and uh absolutely we're, we're yeah. still concerned about drones and about mm. uh you know killing people in other countries and uh lying on television but we also you know mm. pray to jesus and uh and look to him for as for our salvation so uh, yeah, who knows? i think <clears throat> i think one of the big problems with this is is that uh the institutional institutionalized church mm-hmm. Um, has very often been identified with the establishment and people within the church very often do identify in that way. And so they don't, because I'm not speaking for everybody, you know, this is by by and large. So they don't see, or their eyes are such that they cannot identify certain things that are actually going on um, because the the bigger truth for them is that they are part of the the establishment. The establishment is to be trusted, which I think is a, a very unfortunate state of affairs. Because if you, I'm absolutely certain that if Jesus were here today in his physical presence, um, I was speaking to Tony Rook about this actually a few weeks ago. Tony Rook is making a documentary and has made documentaries about nine eleven, and he was saying that uh, G- Jesus uh, is is crying about nine eleven. And I'm absolutely certain that if he was he was here, as I say, in his physical presence, he would be fairly and squarely part of the 9/11 Truth movement. Would be would be calling out for answers on these things. Would be opposing drones. You know, uh, he would be opposing all, all all these things and clearly part of the Truth movement. So it seems such a shame to me that there are there are so many, and again, not everybody, but there are so many people who self-identify as Christians who don't see that. And have had the wool pulled over their eyes, I think, by the establishment. And uh, so I suppose part of what we're trying to do with these podcasts is also to break down some of those barriers, too. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know. Don't know how our, my podcast would do that, for instance. But I, I, I hopefully it has that effect on someone. Um, because yeah, it's. I agree with you. You know, uh, Jesus was. Uh, I have to stand up for the. The downtrodden. You know, he was mm-hmm. interested in, in in justice more than than. Uh, you know, than uh, going with the 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 Pharisees and uh, continuing yeah. the status quo, which is what apparently we think that, or that the uh, culture as a whole thinks that he would do if he was here, you know, that he would be sure. in a church and that he would be all about yeah. God and country. When it, like, like you said, it is very likely if he were here, he would not be doing such. Well, I'm going to agree with you and disagree with you. And that is that I agree with the essence of what you said, but I think he would be in a church because he was in the temple in mm. Jerusalem. <laughs> and, he, and he went into the temple okay. and he, he, he was a Jew and sure. he, 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 he behaved impeccably as, uh, as a Jew. But when he saw things going on that he thought were unacceptable, particularly amongst the priesthood and uh, the kinds of things they allowed, particularly in the temple, you know, we know that we have that example that he turned over the tables and complained about what was going on. And that, that's exactly the opposite of what many people think of Jesus meek and mild. <laughs> well, he wasn't. It was, a, it was a revolutionary. But he didn't reject the traditions of his fathers. He was very keen to see those traditions um, being upheld in the way they should in righteousness and truth. And often, often he wasn't seeing that and he complained against it. And I think that's, that's where we're coming from, isn't it? That we do actually want to see the, uh, the, the Christianity uh, that, that, that we believe in um, falling in line with, with the truth and not being uh, you know, derailed by, by the mainstream media, by propaganda, which so often seems to happen. I particularly noticed this, and this is an anecdote that if any of my listeners happen to be listening to this will probably hate me for saying it because I've said it so many times, but on the 10th anniversary of 9-11, I encountered exactly this because I went to church on that Sunday, because it was a Sunday, and I was hoping there was going to be some mention of what happened 10 years before. And the only mention there was was in the prayers of intercession of praying for the needs of the world where the whoever it was preaching that day mentioned those the families of people who died um so we prayed for them that was it and then we went for tea and coffee after the service nobody talked about anything to do with it whatsoever and i had this sense of wanting to you know this is the 10th anniversary let's let's talk about it whatever you think about it let's just have a talk about it there wasn't the possibility in the conversation to do that and one thing that really when i think back about it really struck me about it this is a bit weird actually but um i was sat at one point with a lot of children because i have a young daughter which is not as young now as she was <laughs> a couple of years ago but uh, um there were about three or four children on this table and i just happened to be sat there with my cup of tea they were making paper aeroplanes, and I was making paper aeroplanes with them. And it didn't cross my mind that this might have been an inappropriate thing to do. And they started throwing these uh, aeroplanes around the room. And it just I thought, oh, good heavens, what are we doing? You know, on the very day that these aeroplanes uh, hit the, the, the Twin Towers, we shouldn't be doing this. This is just, just not right. So I, I collected all up, and we, we started doing something else. But then it, it dawned on me, it was me. I was the one who called an end to that. Nobody else, it didn't even occur to anybody else to say, oh, just a minute, remember what happened 10 years ago? Should, should you really be doing that? Do you know what I mean? There was no consciousness within the room that I was aware of that anybody was thinking about anything to do with it at all. So I felt completely isolated that I could not talk to anybody about this. Um, and I think that is so unhealthy that we've got to that position. There's so many good people in that church, you know, genuine Christians genuine, um, loving people who are actually trying to live their lives. And I th- I'm quite sure that many of them are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And yet they've allowed themselves either to be clouded by propaganda such that they don't even think thoughts um, that are out of line with uh, that propaganda, or they've been effectively silenced by peer pressure as a consequence of this propaganda so that even though they may think these thoughts inside they don't feel able to express them now to some extent i have to say that i'm guilty of that because i do find it very hard to broach such subjects and i do attempt occasionally with a few people 
Um, but I'm a, I am very much aware of that power in the culture that there are certain subjects one shouldn't talk about. And I'm trying now, in, not just in the podcast, but where one, of course, is much freer because you, you don't know who you're talking to. Um, but if you're actually talking to your friends and your mm. colleagues, that's much harder. Mm. But I'm trying now to discipline myself to say, no, I must actually, even if it's very slightly, I must begin to broach these subjects. Because if I don't, then I'm falling victim to this social engineering that's out there, psychological engineering that's out there. Um, and I think it's important that we, we don't allow that to happen. It's hard, but I think we need to try. It's very hard, and I absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. I've been recently, I don't know what podcast I heard uh, recently, whether it was on yours or, or some other one that I listened to, but it, uh, the the topic was talking about how uh, when we don't do that, when we don't speak up and let our opinion at least just be be heard, mm. um, that we're doing ourselves an injustice and in, uh, yeah. in, in our friends a disservice and friends and family a disservice. And I'm like you uh, in, in many ways where, and I shouldn't maybe not speak for you, but I have similar reactions where something will happen. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, about four or five things pop into my head at once about why that, that we should, you know, that we should question this or that, that something, you know, that something someone said was, in, you know, very likely incorrect or, mm. uh, you know, that that, so... But uh, they all pop into my head simultaneously, and I sometimes don't even know where to begin, so I don't. <laughs> right, so I don't right. start at all. And I think I think that uh, you know, you know, we could even learn in a very Christian sense uh, how to speak up about these, uh, especially when oh. it concerns our faith. And then even maybe you know, I challenge people to uh, to do the same thing when it concerns just our beliefs, to because mm. I think that there there is something to. Uh, human behavior that when one person in a group voices something like Paul Craig Roberts did on your show, uh, admitted to on your show about getting on the news and saying, Hey, I don't believe this. Yeah. I think that he did everyone a great service and that saying, okay, it's okay to believe that. Now who knows how many people mm. are thinking some of the same thoughts that we have, but don't know to, whether or not to continue to pursue them. Cause I don't want to be considered crazy and would be yes. positively affected if we said, Hey, I also don't believe that, or hey, you know, I really yes. think that Jesus is the answer. It would let them kind of explore that better. So I'm going to join with you in your uh, disciplining yourself to try and speak up more. I know that I too often am quiet. Uh, I've mm. been doing better this week. I actually had a couple opportunities. Did, did I think I'm, I'm doing a little bit better, but I could definitely do continue to do even better. And I, I challenge oh. listeners to do the same. Uh, we got to speak up a little bit. Uh, just even if it's even if it is just a little bit to speak up to when when uh, when uh, Christ is is challenged or when uh, evolution is taught as, as truth or referred to as truth or when all uh, religion is considered uh, you know hocus pocus and whatnot or even you know in the political side when the the fairy tales are put forth like Osama bin Laden's you know ca death or capture or whatever it was um, you know we need to. I, Hey, I, I just put the challenge out there to uh, to join with uh, Julian. Uh, we get, we got to start we got to start speaking up a little bit. We have, and I'm wondering, just sitting here thinking about it again, thinking about something that Tony Rook said to me that uh, what would Jesus do? He kept saying, and I and I've just thought to myself, well, yeah, even with respect to this, what would Jesus do? And of course, Jesus was very countercultural. In some respects, you know, in the, in the respects that I was talking about before, he would challenge things that were wrong. But he would often do so from a very um, um, parabolic and um, humorous way. Uh, just, uh, so to, to use satire, not satire, sarcasm almost. Yeah, there's quite a bit of sarcasm in the New Testament, actually. Um, and I'm just thinking, just off the top of my head, you know, where he says, well, don't, you know, if you've got to judge somebody, just a minute, you know, you're saying there's a speck in your brother's eye. Have you seen the huge log that's in your own eye? You know, we we, we read that and think, oh yes, that's 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 right. That's a teaching of Jesus. But you think about it; it's, it's ridiculous. You know, it's it's almost like surreal humor that's going on there. You know, just imagine him saying, "There's a huge log in your eye. Can you even see? Can you even see with that eye to see to see the speck that's in your brother's eye? You know, just go on, remove it. Now you've removed it. Now you can see. Ah, that's better. You know, that it's, it's that I can imagine. You know, a Jewish rabbi <laughs> making a big deal out of that. And and 
is there something that we can learn about Jesus' use of exaggeration and sarcasm with respect to the lies that we're told? Mm. Can we sometimes, you know, prick the the pomposity of the news report that's coming across by somehow, you know, thinking about it carefully, but when we're in company saying, well, you know, if they're going to say that, then maybe they need to take such and such seriously. You know, point out the contradictions in what they've said, point out the ridiculousness of, well, I can't think of an exact example of how that might work, but I'm just thinking, can we learn from the way that Jesus dealt with wrong behavior and uh, lies during his life in his ministry? Maybe we can. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorites in the New Testament was when he had to he had to pay taxes, and he did it in the most elaborate way. <laughs> he says, yes. yes. So go down and catch a fish, okay? And then the fish <laughs> should be a gold coin. You grab the coin, you bring it back. Of course, he paid it, but he also did it in a very ridiculous fashion. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what we can learn from that, uh, but... But I guess, you know, careful study of the Bible will hopefully, and, and just practice standing up for what we want to, you know, what we think. And even, and not standing up for what we think as though we're right, but just saying it, just putting it out there so the people around us have room to say, yeah, I, I think that, you know, that may be true, or, you know, I think that you're crazy, one or the other, but just just saying it, you know, just, just stepping forward and standing on that, because I think... The further and further we go, and I'm not one of those people that thinks the last days is around the corner in any way. I know I think it could be four years, forty years, four hundred years from now. Sure, um, I sure. just, but I think that the you know the further we go, the harder it'll be to stand up for our yeah. our, our beliefs, and you know why not get our practice in now? Uh, and, and, yeah, that's and, a good point. And, and be good, be good at it when it well, when it's needed. You know, so yes. Uh, I just been, I, and I guess I'm just preaching right now because I feel convicted. I have, I've stayed quiet too often. I have this podcast where I get on here and, you know, wax poetic with the great minds like you know yourself and, and James Corbett and Andrew and Chris White and whatnot. But then when I'm in a day to day conversation and somebody, you know, just rings up one of those old, you know, myths that the the government has bestowed upon us, I just you know keep quiet and I feel like uh, just feeling a little convicted about it. So. Mm-hmm. Get off my soapbox for the moment, <laughs> and uh, we can try and uh, and uh, wrap up our conversation a bit here. Um, you know, yeah. Julian, it has been a, a real pleasure speaking to you. I wanted to uh, see: do you have anything you know for us in the future? Things we should look forward to on your podcast? Any any uh, parting thoughts or uh, anything else that you maybe wanted to speak on that uh, we we may have missed? <laughs> Well, I suppose in one sense, there's a whole world of things that we've missed because you can't go on talking forever. Um, on the podcast itself, uh, at the moment, I've just been talking to a guy called Mike Kenner, who's an, a Cold War researcher, open government campaigner here in the UK. And talking to him for three hours in preparation for this this uh, latest podcast. And it was a real headache, actually, starting to edit it because the, everything he said was interesting uh, you know, with all respect to the guests I've had on before, I can't quite say everything that they've said has been interesting. Um, that's just a, it's just a personality thing. I think he's one of these guys who, who just doesn't waste what, what he says at all, you know. And uh, so I thought, how am I going to make a three-hour podcast? So I, I decided in the end that I wouldn't do that. I'd split it into a couple of parts. And, uh, yeah, some of it's got on the co- cutting floor, of course. Um, so this is to do with the chemical and biological spraying at Porton Down, the Ministry of Defense's chemical um, biological warfare research center here in the UK, and how they sprayed the populations at various times during the 20th century. And uh, I was, as a child, I got sprayed with live bacteria. Nobody knew about this except Porton Down itself. And uh, I suffered from chest infections as a child. And there's quite a possibility that some of that was caused by them so I I don't feel very happy about that at all so we've had the first part that first podcast there so in this coming week we're going to have the second podcast on that and then things coming up in the future is that um, we have Tom Secker coming on to talk about 7-7 yeah I'm really looking forward to that I am a big fan of Tom Secker I've been listening to his new uh, podcast Clandestime it's been uh, Uh quite enjoyable well, the only thing is that he sent me his book, 
and uh, I've got to read that. So it won't be immediate. <laughs> okay. It's going to take a bit of, bit of working through because it's a complicated subject and he's a very meticulous researcher. So I mm-hmm. want to be able to ask him questions that are you know, really probing to get as much information out as possible. I'm so, uh, glad so he's finally doing a podcast. I've, I've been waiting uh, and waiting for him to, you know, I've found sure. his interviews here and there, especially through James. But now yeah. he's finally doing one. It's, it's great, to, great to hear him. Yeah. Uh, we've got um, Martin Erdman, who seems to be now a, rather a friend of the show. He's come on a few times, and uh, he's keen to come on again. And he has a, a quite a list of subjects that he wants to talk about. So, I mean, in some ways, I'm you know I want to say, yeah, come on as many times as you like. But uh, um, he's coming on to talk about the Trilateral Commission, okay. um, and um, I'd, I'm not quite sure whether it's fully arranged. Uh, it's sort of out there in the ether. Talk, uh, a guy called Steve Hassan may be coming on to talk about the Unification Church. Um, but he hasn't got back to me recently, but he's a very busy guy. That's the way things go. And um, there's also another going to be another 9-11 episode where Kevin Ryan is going to come on talking about his new book, Another 19, which uh, is, yeah, talking about uh, the... Well, maybe the uh, maybe the real criminals in that case. <laughs> so he's. Uh, I, I need to look through that book in in more detail to be able to talk about that. And there, are, sure. and Tim Ball's coming back on. There are all sorts of th- plans that are in in the air, but uh, that's the way it goes. Isn't it? My, yes, it is. Uh, but you uh, you have more plans than most of us. So I, I give kudos to you. Uh, <laughs> my co-host is actually making his way through another nineteen right now. Uh, so you know, uh, it's it definitely you know. That seems to be. Uh, I look forward to hearing that episode. Is, is what I meant to say there, um, right? And the thing I wanted to say too, I just realized, you know, we we spoke almost off air for as long as we've been on, but I had said several things off air that I wanted to kind of get out of flush out in the open out uh, on this end, and that was, uh, I was just you know commenting on how you do such a great job at uh, keeping both the spiritual and the uh, the political. Uh, news uh, coming out in your podcast. Uh, we are kind of uh, more analytical as far as just uh, what's going on in the world, kind of social, political commentary. I think that has a lot to do with my co-host, who is just uh, very, very uh, adept at, at thinking in that in that way. Has written that bo- his book and, and whatnot. Uh, but yeah. um, you also then get into the spiritual and have people on to speak on on spiritual matters. That you know from uh, you know. Uh, you know, not just Scientology, but uh, you know, uh, just several different supernatural things and, and whatnot. And and and, and mm-hmm. even I think it was Mr. Edelman who had a, a testimony right in the middle of one of your podcasts. And I just wanted to give credit to your podcast and encourage others to uh, to listen to this, this to your podcast because it you do such an amazing job at at, st- at staying uh, with each one of your guests, even though they're so vastly different, uh, when one will be, you know, such a, a great political mind like uh, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, and then the next it'll be someone who's, you know, very, very spiritual and uh, concerned with spiritual things or, or even uh, the supernatural. And you're able to stay with them, keep the listener on track, and I, I just I credit your podcast. Uh, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And uh, the last one that I can think of that did it so well was maybe Future Quake. So uh, I guess that's high high praise from me, but I encourage listeners to check out your podcast. And uh, we spoke a little bit before this, and uh, I'm gonna I'm going to uh, do my best get this on get uh, the mind renewed on Revelations Radio Network, so that people can check out your podcast as you uh, work through this amazing array of guests that you have planned and 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 the uh, the shows that you have coming up. Well, thank you ever so much, Tim. It's great to be talking to you, and thank you very much for inviting me onto your show. Uh, I feel very privileged, I have to say, that uh, you, you've done that. Um, I feel like I'm a newcomer, really. I mean, it, okay, it's a year that I've been doing this, uh, but it feels like it's a, a few weeks, you know, these uh, these things have a sort of a psychological different, uh, you know, approach to time. Um, I'm a newcomer. I'm a baby. So uh, for you to invite me onto your show and to invite me onto the network as well. I'm absolutely delighted. Thank you very much indeed. Well, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think you should consider yourself a, a veteran by now. You're a wily veteran <laughs> of, of 50 episodes and uh, you're, you've had the, some, just an amazing array of guests. I encourage listeners, like I said, to go back and check out those guests. I found these podcasts to be highly entertaining and I've even had a couple of listeners, one in particular supporter out of Alaska who messaged me and said, "Hey, have you have you heard of the, the Mind Renewed with Julian Charles? I'm a fan of your podcast and also a fan of his. And uh, w- you know, 
Uh, I look forward to uh, hope maybe combining on efforts in the future and uh, sure. referencing your work and my work and whatnot and uh, yeah. moving forward from here. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it'd be great if we could find uh, creative ways and to work together. The, it's, it's open-ended, isn't it? We never know quite how things are going to develop. So, yeah, if we can do that in some way, that would be marvelous. Absolutely. And uh, I, we were talking off air. I'll figure out how to get you a copy of uh, Andrew's book. Pass that on. Sorry, he couldn't be here. He's also busy with the newborn, and uh, uh-huh. he works during the day. And right now it's the morning over here as it's the, the evening in the U.K. So I guess yeah. without uh, any further ado, thanks a bunch for coming on, Julian, and uh, we'll just wrap it up there. Okay, thank you. And may I say congratulations on your recent marriage? <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Julian. I appreciate that. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com. And thank you for your support of this podcast.